Hey everybody, thanks for listening, and as always, thanks to our sponsor, KnowledgeBand, the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. If you want the most advanced safety technology adapted from the human performance principles of the nuclear and aviation industries, then KnowledgeBand is error reduction that works. They were the first company to tie human performance to serious injury and fatality or SIF precursors. Learn more at knowledgevine.com. In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Okay, today my guest on the show is Shannon Caldwell. And let's see here, Shannon, you have a Houston phone number, but you're in Arkansas, right? That's correct. So my family and I recently made the move to Bentonville, Arkansas, which you may know as the world headquarters for Walmart. That's what tends to be the claim to fame. That is this claim to fame. And this podcast heard in over 134 different countries. For those of you who aren't familiar with that particular area of Arkansas, it's actually a very pretty part of the country. There's some hills around there. As a matter of fact, the uh, Walmart family has made uh, mountain biking really popular around there. They've got some uh, really neat mountain bike trails. You're not into that, are you? I am, actually. The city has done an amazing job with Walmart's support to uh, make this a destination for bikers around the world. So we get an influx at different times throughout the year for people who just travel here just for the bike trails. That's exactly right. Okay, so Shannon, you're the vice president of HSE and regulatory affairs for a company called Zenith Energy. Is that right? That is. Okay. So tell me a little bit about Zenith. And uh, I was going to say, tell me a little bit about yourself. In fact, you can do that, but actually I'm looking at your you got a lot to tell about yourself. I'm, again, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile here. You've got a range of U.S. and international experience in HSE. Specialties are human performance, which is actually the reason I wanted to have you on the show. But you got all these other certifications, too. So anyway, tell us about yourself. Tell us about Zenith. Well, I mean, you said it all right there. I've been in the wrong place at the right time for many occasions, and it served me well throughout my career. I have an extensive history of working in oil and gas in the EMS sector. I've done it all over the world, and I've enjoyed all my travels. I've enjoyed all the cultures I've got to work with and all the people that I've been able to include in my career over time. Tell me about Zenith, but you worked for ConocoPhillips. Is that where you got your international experience? No. So some of my international experience came from the Air Force, but the majority of it came from different careers, including Conoco. I started my oil and gas career with Noble Drilling. Oh, okay. And actually, I can go back before that because I worked for Acadian as a remote paramedic for a while on various rigs and production platforms before I moved into the safety role. You know, I just interviewed somebody this week that's a lead safety guy for an energy company, and that's where he got his start was in paramedics. So is that what led you into the HSE area? It did. So some of the things you learn as a paramedic is how to size up a scene pretty quickly. And you can start to identify kind of where things went off the rails and what could have been done differently. And those are things that you have to know in order to understand your approach to your patient based on their mechanism of injury or the nature of their illness, and also how to protect yourself and your crew. 
And then the other thing that they teach you is the art of, and I say the art of deduction. You have to form what's called a differential as you investigate what's going on with your patient. And sometimes it requires some very thoughtful questions. It requires some understanding and trying to get into their shoes in order to appreciate what's occurred so that you can then try to solve their problem or at least address their symptoms. So that carries over very well into safety, especially, but all of the facets of HSE and regulatory, because it gives you that insight and that ability to get into the tunnel with people whenever you're treating them. Okay. So I'll get you back on track here, give you the opportunity to talk about Zenith for a little bit. Uh, Who are they? So Zenith, the management team from Kinder Morgan Terminals back in 2014, some of the persons in those roles spun off and formed a private enterprise called Zenith Energy. It originally started internationally with terminals in Colombia, the Netherlands, and Ireland. They had a few other international opportunities that didn't come through. So then they, when their three-year time period for non-compete came up, they were able to acquire an entity called Arc Logistics in the U.S. The peak of our operations, we had 27 terminals around the world, including 24 in the U.S. And it is primarily a midstream liquids and pipeline gathering company. That tends to be what we do is we store, distribute, and convey products on behalf of others. If any of the majors either have product that they have an abundance of that they want to store, or if they have raw products that are part of their feedstock that they want to store, we provide them a space for that. I like to tell people we're like a mini storage. Okay. And so are you in Houston? The office is located in Houston and that's where our headquarters is. We also have a headquarters in Metuchen, New Jersey. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're on the East Coast and you're at the Port of Houston. How many employees do you have? Presently, we have, including international, we have about 200, but at our peak, we had 400. Okay. And you are international? We are. Okay. All right. So with all your experience and all these designations, which we didn't even get into all of them, but on your LinkedIn profile, it says HSE, Human Performance and Cultural Change Expert, focused on decreasing the impact of major incidents on people. So when you and I uh, talked about coming on the show, we said we were going to talk about human performance, which is, as I told you, one of my favorite subjects, because that's what my sponsor, Knowledge Mind, is into, is human performance training and technologies. Like I said, it's one of my favorite subjects. So you're well-versed on it. I want to get into human performance. I want to talk about, I guess, human performance as a technical term or or how we got this name, a little bit about the history, and then you take it from there and talk about human performance in general. Okay. So human and organizational performance is a term that describes how people and organizations interact. And what I've found is that most companies see people as a problem to fix and not a solution to involve in the discussions that occur in the organization. Most Failures or most mistakes occur as a result of humans doing what humans do, seeking efficiencies as they do their work and trying to do a good job. No one comes to work to hurt themselves or others. Most people come to work to do a good job. Most organizations don't apply the knowledge of their people to the problems that they face every day. When you have that interface where the organizations and the humans diverge, that's where you have the biggest opportunity to learn and that's where you have the application of human and organizational performance type safety. So you're talking about standards versus behaviors or standards and behaviors coming together? Well, to me, behavior, when I hear the word behavior, 
that means that someone did something because they made a bad choice. It was their behavior that caused their problem. I don't see it that way. The easiest way to ask someone or to identify if, if something they did was a mistake is to ask them, did you know that that was going to hurt when you smashed your hand in that vice? Chances are they're going to say no. <laughs> and so it wasn't a behavior. It's not something they intentionally did. It's something that they did as a result of an action that they didn't predict the outcome. And I think we've way overcomplicated safety, you know, as I mentioned before. So one of the things that Dr. Conklin says, he says, safety is a common good. And I love that saying because he talks about how we often say leadership owns safety. Well, that's not correct. Leadership can't own safety. They're not the ones doing the work. And he says, the people own safety. And well, that's not correct. The people can't own safety because they have no resources to affect change. So it really is everyone owns it, but nobody owns it. It's everyone's responsibility. Everyone's accountable for safety, but no one can actually own safety. Safety is the presence of defenses. When we come to terms with that and we realize that safety is a common good, then we have to start addressing issues as they arise. You're not going to be able to solve problems if you don't know they exist. And most companies will send leaders out to the field and they say, go and leadership by walk around, leadership by walk around. But the problem is, is leaders tend to go to the field for three reasons. There's a new person starting and we need to go and read in the riot act. There's a piece of equipment being delivered that costs a lot of money or there's a customer issue. And so when they go out there, they might go and walk around and talk to people, but they never really get on the same level as the individuals out there and show genuine care and concern. If you want to know that problems exist, you have to have a trust basis. The only way you're going to get trust is by getting to know people. And so I would encourage leaders when they're walking around to approach people where the work is occurring. Don't talk about work. Talk about things that are personal, relevant, and important to them. Get to know them on a personal level and do this two or three times. And then the third, fourth time you go out there, ask them, you know, hey, how was your daughter's swim meet? Oh, okay, great. And then you say, how are things going out here? You're going to get everything you wanted to hear and more because now you've established trust. You've made it personal, relevant, and important to them. And you're not talking at them or about them. You're talking with them. Once you have those problems, then you have to do something with it. And it's okay to do nothing at all as long as you give them that feedback. So you evaluate it, you look into it, you see if it's going to make a difference, you see if you can make a change, and then you report back to the individual and say, this is what we're going to do and I need your help to do it. And that's forward accountability. I often hear a lot of people talk about how human performance means no accountability for anyone. Absolutely false. Forward accountability is what matters in human performance. Say that again. You say forward accountability? Right. Forward accountability. You still have accountability, right? Okay. A lot of companies will focus on discipline, blame, punishment, whatever you want to call it, accountability, whatever name you want to give it. It's all basically the same thing. And they do the name, blame, shame, and train every time somebody gets hurt. Well, if that person's bad today, if something they did was bad today, they were bad yesterday, they were bad a week ago, they were bad a month ago. So why did we wait until an incident happened? to determine that this person did something that didn't meet the company's expectations. So forward accountability is, is still holding that person accountable, but having them accountable for helping to solve the problem. And the other piece of that is the organization's accountability. The organization has an accountability to evaluate competency, to assess their people, to make sure their risk thermostat is set the same as the expectation of the company throughout this person's career, not when an event happens. That's exactly right. Everything's clear after it happens, after the fact. Evaluate your people. 
walk the field, get to know them on a personal level, check their competencies, move them into a different seat on the bus if they're not in the right seat because their risk profile doesn't match what the company expects. That is accountability, not holding someone accountable and firing them after an event occurred. That's just poor management. So they can go off and do it somewhere else. And so you can hire somebody else who's going to do the same thing. And you haven't fixed your own organizational, what some people call latent organizational weaknesses haven't been identified. And so exactly to the definition of insanity, you're just going to do the same things over and over again, expecting different results. A couple things. You mentioned Dr. Conklin. Who is he? Todd Conklin. You're right. So Dr. Conklin came from the Alamos National Laboratory, and he's one of the thought leaders in the human and organizational space. Okay. And the history of human performance, what you're calling it there, that dates back to where? All the way back to James Reason. You can go even further back than that. I think we've gotten away. So I think the way that safety used to be taught to engineers before the OSHA Act was what we call human and organizational performance today, albeit a not as robust as it is. But I think it's the way they used to teach it. And then we got away from it as more and more practitioners came and became involved. And it became too difficult and complicated to teach people how to apply human and organizational performance in a compliance manner. When the OSHA Act was established and when system status management and, and management systems came into popularity, everything became about following rules. Well, Rules are written by others. Rules are work as imagined. You can't understand how to apply a rule or how a rule is applied until you understand the context of how that rule is going to be applied. And that's why the people become so important. They're the ones who are doing the work. They're the ones who have the problems in the work that they perform. So they have to have the solutions. And you have to understand how the rules can be applied, not necessarily you have to follow the rule as it's written at all times. It's let's understand how we can apply that rule to this context. And if we can't, what can we do differently? We become too rigid and too stiff in how we apply things, thinking that it can be broad brushed across every type of task or every organization or every facet of work as it's performed. And that's not correct. We can't. Yeah, I like the way you phrase that. And I also like the way you, and I always use the term human performance, but I like the way you tie the two terms together, organizational and human performance, because the two have to go hand in hand. And something that you said that I picked up on, and this is something that actually, again, back to my sponsor, Knowledge Vine, they're very big on, is just exactly what you were talking about. And that is getting down on the worker's level, seeing what these guys are doing, developing relationships with them. And really, when they use the word behavior, they're more often than not looking for positive behavior than negative behavior. As the old saying goes, rather than trying to catch you doing something wrong, we're trying to catch you do something right. But when you do have the need for constructive coaching, let's call it, because you see something that's not right. I like the phrase that you use. You sit down with a person and you say, I need your help. And folks, I promise you, and I think Shannon, you can maybe elaborate on it better than I can, but that's a magic expression, folks. I promise you this is worth the price of admission if you're listening to this podcast today. If you want to solve any kind of conflict, 
you don't go and stick your finger in somebody's face and say you have a problem. Instead, you go up to them, you say, hey, man, I have a problem and I was wondering if you could help me with it. You want to comment on that, Shannon? Absolutely. I love the way that people are often taught how to perform safety observations. And safety observations is absolutely one of the most difficult things that we ask people to do. You have the right to stop work. You have the authority to stop work. You have the obligation to stop work. I can go on and on and put any fancy word in front of it, but still is one of the most difficult things that we ask people to do on a daily basis. And the reason why is threefold. Number one, no one wants to be the zebra in a room full of horses. You don't want to stand out in case you were right, wrong. Right. Number two, you're not the one doing the task and you don't know if what you see is actually the wrong way to do it. And then number three, and probably the one that most people don't think about is we are programmed not to mess with people while they're doing work. I mean, think back to when you were a young boy running around in the kitchen and dad's under the sink doing some plumbing work. And you go there and you're trying to see what's going on. And your mom might have said, leave your dad alone. He's working. Can I help? Yeah, the best way you can help me is get out of my way. (laughs) That's what my dad used to say. You don't mess with people while they're doing work. We've been told that over and over and over and over again since we were children. That's a lot of psychological baggage to unpack. So that's one thing. So what I like to tell people is, is make people the experts they are. Do you hire good people? If you don't, start there. If you do, then your people are hired to do a job because they're expert at what they do. Use them. Focus on the task, not the person involved. Focus on the task that they're doing and have them teach you about it. So what I like to do is I approach people and I come from a place of learning, first seek to understand. And then I ask them like, hey, you mind if I speak with you for a minute? Can you tell me what you're doing over here? It could be something as simple as pressure washing. It could be something as complex as changing out a motor operator valve and just have them tell you like, this is what I'm doing. And then I'll ask things like, well, what's the end look like? Like, what would I expect to see if I came back tomorrow and the job was done? Okay, great. And if I were doing it, what are some things that I would need to be aware of? Okay, good. And then the next question is, is what things do I need to be concerned with that can hurt me? Because I've never done this before and I don't know anything about it. And you're the expert. So tell me, what would I do if I were doing this role? And nine times out of 10, they're going to talk about what it is that you saw them doing. And they probably didn't even know they were doing it subconsciously, but now it's out there and they will correct it. So you still got what you wanted. You didn't embarrass them. You made them the expert. You probably learned something. You took the time to speak with them. So you've accomplished everything that you needed to do that day. And you still got the end result you wanted because now that person's doing it the right way. That's the goal. That's where you're trying to get to. Now, if I understand it correctly, this human performance concept is a really big thing in the aviation and nuclear industry. Is that right? That's correct. So think about how many flights per year that occur around the world. That's a huge number. And it's more than a million hours in the cockpit every year. And think about, fortunately, knock on wood, how many plane crashes that you hear about. And I'm not talking about the little single engine guys. I'm talking about major airline crashes, commercial airliners. You don't hear about very many. And that's because every company should take this approach. A long time ago, not that long ago, but the airline industry took the stance that they set their risk bar. They set the bar and they said, what can we accept and what can we not accept? And they said, we cannot accept airplane falling out of the sky. We can accept an airplane dropping 5,000 feet. We can accept a depressurization event. We're going to mitigate it, but we can live with that. What we can live with is a plane hitting the ground. So then what they did was 
they identified all the ways that a human could cause the plane to fly into the ground. And then they put in systems, checklist, and then also redundant overrides and resiliency. They built in resiliency because they understood that failure was going to occur. We're created fallible. That's the number one principle of human performance. And so what they did was they made it to where if I push that lever forward instead of pulling backward, the plane's not going to fall out of the sky. And that was the basis of it. Now, under the wing, what they call the ground crews, they still struggle. But, you know, they're working on that now and applying some of the same principles. But that's where it got to start in the airline industry is we couldn't fathom the idea of commercial airliners falling out of the sky. That's a good point. And what you just said Every company, every organization, every industry, anybody who has employees should adopt that same standard. And of course, the nuclear industry, I think, went to the aviation industry after Three Mile Island and kind of did the same thing. But we are starting to see it in other organizations, which is a good thing. And it's really, I call it the gold standard in safety. And fortunately, people are beginning to recognize that and adopt it and do some of the things like you were talking about earlier, we need to be looking at SIF precursors. We don't need to be looking at after action reports when things already happen. Make sure that we prevent them. Shannon, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. When you're talking to an expert like yourself, it doesn't take long to fill up a 30-minute conversation, and we're just about at that point. Anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? I would just remind people to keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate. We've made safety programs too complicated. If you're focused on everything, you're focused on nothing. Identify the risk that you can't live with. That's worth the price of admission. Say that one more time. If you're focused on everything, you're focused on nothing. Focused on nothing. Okay. Well, that's a good place to stop right there. Again, folks, and we try to do this in every show. Sometimes I have to admit I hope we don't ever strike out, but sometimes maybe we only hit a single. But then sometimes we hit a home run, and I think this has been a home run today. So thanks again, Shannon, for coming on. And as always, when we sign off on the podcast, I can't thank all of you enough for listening and for sending in your reviews on iTunes and Spotify or the review link that's in the show notes. It really helps us. We've got people out there that are posting us on LinkedIn and their other social media. We really appreciate that. Tell your friends to listen. And if you find this podcast beneficial, make sure you help us keep it up and running by reaching out to our sponsor, Knowledge Vine. They are leaders in human organizational performance training and technologies. They are able to do what Shannon was talking about, uh, take these human organizational performance principles that the aviation industry said is their gold standard, let your company adapt these same principles for your own safety program. Reach out to them at knowledgevine.com. We've got that in the show notes. Again, thanks for listening. Tune in again next week, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.